Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Hey, Irish fans. This is Ben Belton, host of the Under the Dome podcast. I'm excited for a new series of podcasts, a new podcast logo, and a new Notre Dame football season to talk about. But since it's been a while since we've recorded a show, I wanted to start by saying this. About two months ago, the Notre Dame family lost a person that was particularly important to me. That person is my father, Bruce Belton. My dad was a huge supporter of Notre Dame and a huge supporter of this podcast. He will be sorely missed, and I would be remiss to not pay him tribute on a podcast of which he was the most loyal listener. If my dad were here today, he'd have two words to kick this podcast off. Go Irish. So without further ado, I present to you the new season of the Under the Dome podcast. listeners and welcome to a new season and another episode of the under the dome podcast i'm really excited about this i'm calling it a new season because it's been since april since we recorded our last episode um even though ironically the last episode was called the under the dome return uh things happened and uh haven't had the opportunity to record a whole lot and then you know really it's been kind of a dead time anyway so we're back here it is august 1st as we are recording this episode many of you probably won't listen till august 2nd notre dame starts there and i always think it's kind of funny that they call it fall camp and it's not just notre dame that calls it fall camp but that it's called fall camp in general tomorrow we have a brian kelly press conference notre dame starts camp on the third and all that said i'm happy you know to be sitting in front of a microphone ready to talk some notre dame football That said, I am your host, Ben Belden. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at bbelden330. Make sure you follow the podcast Twitter at underthedome underscore nd. We've got some really new podcast logo and things. And today I'm joined by a first-time podcast guest, J.P. Scott. J.P., how are you? I'm awesome, Ben. I'm excited to get back into podcasting, and I'm very excited for the season. Sounds great. And you guys can follow J.P. on Twitter at... And I just lost it, of course. Real J.P. Scott, right? The J.P. Scott. The J.P. Scott. Dang. All it's right. like the Ohio State, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we're, and we're going to get close to talking that here in a second. So um, you can check us out wherever you're listening right now. You can check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, Spreaker, SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere that you find all of your podcasts. If we're somewhere, if we're not somewhere that you want us to be, let us know. I can uh, work that out. But like I say, um, you know, we're just we're pretty well everywhere, and we try to spread ourselves so that we get the uh, the best wide audience as possible. Also, JP and I are both co experts at Slap the Sign. Make sure you're sl- t- checking out slapthesign.com for some written Irish word, and I think that's about it as far as house cleaning stuff goes. So on today's show, we're going to be talking a little bit about Notre Dame, Michigan, um, some recruiting things, and we have you know this new voicemail feature that we're going to work out, and uh, hopefully it works out. I guess. And 
take some voicemails from listeners and things. But before we do that, we have to pay a couple of the bills. So we will be right back after this little break. The Under the Dome podcast is thankful to the great people at Electrosound who graciously donated audio equipment and accessories to help make this podcast sound awesome. If you're in the market for audio consulting, the purchasing or renting of equipment, or any other audio needs, make sure that you check out their website at electrosound.com. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I sound.com. Okay, so we're back, and we're going to start the show with, you know, we don't do a whole lot of talk about non-Notre Dame topics on this show, at least historically, but we're going to do that now, so hopefully our listeners don't mind. The big news of today, like I say today, is August 1st, is the news out of Ohio State revolving around Coach Urban Meyer, who allegedly knew, or we think he probably knew, about a report about a staffer who um, was involved in, I guess you could say, some domestic disputes. Just to put it nicely, there was a report out today that even though Urban Meyer denied at Big Ten Media Days a week or so ago that he just now, in the last week or so, found out about incidents from 2015 that at the very least, according to the accuser, his wife knew, and there's just all of this fallout today. In the last couple hours, it came out that Urban is on paid administrative leave while Ohio State does an investigation, and in general, this is just bad, bad, bad for Ohio State. There's a lot of ways that we can talk about this, and I don't want to spend, obviously, too, too much because it's going to be talked about you know, ad nauseum in the, in the coming days. We don't know what's going to happen to Urban and the program at this point, but I just want to get your take. What were your first thoughts, JP, on you know, when you heard the news today, and you know, how did that maybe evolve throughout the rest of the day? Well, early on in the day, I, was, I didn't think it was that big of a story, but then as I started reading about it, and then I started seeing the reaction on Twitter about it and everything. Um, I started realizing, man, this this could be something. Uh, it, it was. I, I read the Brett McMurphy. I read this whole story, and then I also saw the pictures that the coach's wife sent to Meyer's wife that were on her phone that she obviously saw. And I mean, look, I'm a married man. If, if somebody sent my wife pictures like that, and I, you know, the guy works for me, and this is his wife, I I, I can't imagine a world where he didn't know, and I don't care what kind of uh, agreement or contract she was under as an Ohio State employee to not say anything, but uh, that's garbage. He, he knew. He knew it then. I'm sure he had seen those pictures, and uh, it, it's just a bad look, and I, I don't see – I just don't see how, how he can keep his job. Yeah, I can't really either, especially when there has been precedent sent when people lie, you know. I saw some people talking today that it, sometimes it's not even the crime you commit. It's the lie that you tell afterwards. It's really the more, I guess, it, that's what get you, gets you fired. If you can get out in front of it, you can do a little bit of damage control. But there's really not a lot of damage control, I don't think, that Urban Meyer can do with this one. Um, right. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. And I imagine, you know, I always try to put myself in the – well, I, I try to put myself in different people's shoes. And when I – try to put myself in Urban Meyer's shoes, I think to myself, you know, what I would have done, how I would have handled it. Um, I, I don't know that there was like a whole ton of malicious intent here. I, I, I just don't, and I don't know that I'm verbalizing exactly what I'm saying correctly, but, you know, maybe 
there's different levels to, I guess, what Urban Meyer knew versus didn't know. He might have known that there was an incident. We, I guess this is an alleged incident, and maybe the details aren't quite, you know, maybe he swept it under the rug because he didn't think that the details were as, you know, uh, I don't know, graphic as they were. Maybe he had just a slight idea and just didn't think it was a big deal, and now he's realizing it was a big deal, and maybe that's where just a mistake was made. I don't know. It's it's hard to pinpoint exactly what's going on here, but it, it's just bad all around. And then, of course, you know, today on Twitter, people are calling for his job, um, making the memes about him and things, and you know, it's just, yeah, I might have made one or two. Yeah, well, I think it's I think some of them, given Urban Meyer's track record with, you know, giving guys, players, usually second and third chances, that, you know, it's it's starting to catch up to him a little bit. Um do you think that this is a case where, you know, Urban Meyer and I really don't know what my answer to this is. Usually I ask questions with answers in mind, but is this a case where he's might not coach again, or do you think he'll get another job should he get fired from Ohio State? Uh, I, if he gets fired from Ohio State, it's tough to imagine just because of his age. He's not like super old. Yeah, he's definitely not somebody. He's not at an age where like a even a power any other even a low level power five program would take a shot at him. If he gets another shot, it's kind of maybe like an obscure. I don't know. He could probably go down to one double A at the, you know, the FCS level. Um, I think back to, you know, like um, how Bo Pelini left Nebraska when he had the recordings where he was, you know, talking to the students about, you know, dropping F-bombs about his boss. Um, I don't know that Pelini will ever coach the power five again. And, and that wasn't as bad as what is going on here with some of the things that are coming out with this, with this Urban Meyer thing. So now granted Pelini was never at the level that Urban Meyer was in terms of wins and championships, but, I just don't know how you how you go back. I mean, you're you're all the way you're at the top. He's at the top of the mountain, and once you're at the top of the mountain and you get kicked off that mountain, I don't know who who wants to uh, invest in you after that. So I I doubt it. Not at not at the FBS level. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's uh, I'm almost at a loss for words because you know there were always jokes about you know you heard the things like I mentioned before that he had given these guys second and third chances and swept certain tried to keep things quiet swept certain things under the rug and you know you you always kind of just had this idea that maybe he wasn't the most truthful and forthcoming guy and then this comes out and it's just the straw that broke the camel's back maybe makes him makes him seem more slimy i mean yeah and generally like i i i mean i've never really liked the guy but i never disliked him either and if all this is true, it's hard to find any part of me that likes him, I suppose. Um, like I say, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm trying, you know, when I put myself in his shoes to give him the benefit of the doubt. But it's just so darn hard. So well, one other, another, another wrinkle in this, and one of the reasons I think, I think he might be done, is because, I mean, who, who's their number one rival, not just on the field, but off of it in terms of recruiting, right? It's Michigan. And it's Harbaugh and Meyer. And as as much as we joke about Harbaugh and all of his quirks and all of his, you know, just little things that irk us about him at the end of the day, if both of those coaches today are sitting in your living room, looking you in the eye and saying, send your son to come be with us for four years. Who are you sending your kid to? Yeah. There's no, there's no way you're sending him to Urban Meyer after all this. I mean, Harbaugh, I don't believe is a bad guy. I think he's a decent guy. So that's another, another factor in why, Boy, Ohio State might be in some trouble here. They might not have a choice. 
yeah, and you know everything. I guess you know we. I said that we were going to take a little break. I guess from talking Notre Dame football and talk about this first, but this ties back to Notre Dame as well. I mean, think of the guys that Notre Dame has lost out to Ohio State lately. Um, you know, Michigan is obviously Ohio State's number one competitor on and off the field, and Notre Dame, you know, off the field especially is one of those teams that's in the next, you know, it's not quite up there with Michigan, but it's probably just about next when you oh, yeah. factor Ohio's in. a big recruiting now, Notre Dame. Right, Ohio's yeah. Huge. When you factor in proximity and that type of thing, um, you know, Ohio State gets a lot of players from Florida. Notre Dame historically hasn't in recent history. Um, and Notre Dame's actually kind of moved their base sort of to Georgia, which is interesting. Um, but, you know, like I said, there's, there's players that Notre Dame has missed out on and fell and they were second to Ohio state and vice versa as well. So it'll be uh, interesting to uh, see how this plays out. And um, we will, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll be talking on a podcast in the near future about, you know, who's going to coach Ohio state next. Um, I know probably, well, you probably have a theory. Do you have one? Uh, coaching them next? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be an interim. Um, right. For the rest of the year, my my bombshell theory is Bob Stoops, but right. I mean that's that's a pipe dream. It makes too much. It makes so much sense that it won't happen. Right. Um, but you know, there's some there's some other guys. There's some other guys even in the Big Ten that uh, I, I think could could step up a notch or two and and be considered. DJ Durkin at Maryland is a guy that they may may take a look at. I mean, he's turned that program around. He's made him quasi respectable pretty fast. So um, that's just one name out there, but. Uh, it will be very interesting, and I don't know that there's been a job opening like that in a very long time. Yeah, the guy that immediately came to mind uh, for me was uh, Greg Schiano, who is the – I think he's the sole defensive coordinator now. Um, but that's kind of ironic because he's had his questionable right. <laughs> things happen. I got a feeling they're going to avoid anything, any any potential landmines like that. And I don't know that Schiano coaches as a head coach either, and you know. Right. Guilty, not guilty. And last, lastly, a guy with Ohio ties is the Iowa State head coach, um, Matt Campbell, who is from Maslin, Ohio, which is probably two hours from Columbus, but has coached at Bowling Green, Mount Union, Toledo, and all of those places as well. So anyway, um, this is a Notre Dame podcast, so we will uh, transition topics oh, now. <laughs> all right, so transitioning now to Notre Dame football. We are going to talk about their first game a little bit about um, as they play Michigan under the lights. September 1st, we are sitting, you know, exactly one month away calendar wise. So that gives us a little bit about 30 days until they kick off the season officially. Um, first of all, let me ask you this, and this is off the script a little bit from what we were going to talk about. But do you like the renewal of the Notre Dame-Michigan rivalry before we start talking about this specific game? I do like it. Um, I like it from a from a regional, you know, it's a border war, um, historical prestige, all that. I mean, you've got two of the winningest programs. Um, fan bases are very similar. Um, academics are very similar. Uh, you know, they're both tough schools to get into. They they both demand. They they both have similar coaches now, which is very interesting about the renewal. Is you know, this is the first uh, of of the Harbaugh versus Brian Kelly, and and, and they are they. Both coaches are kind of guys who can rub you the wrong way. Um, I can see, you know, I know for a fact uh, from an outsider's perspective a little bit um, how Brian Kelly rubs people the wrong way. Uh, Harbaugh, I think, is just more of like a quirky troll. But, you know, it's similar similar styles and everything. I I do. I love it. Um, I can't wait. 
Um, I despise Michigan fans. I'm not going to lie. They are the worst. So I'm looking forward to some of that back and forth. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I've told this story in our Slack group at Slap the Sign a couple of times where um, I've only been to one Notre Dame away game, and it was at Michigan. And I just went literally by myself, uh, like, you know, Friday night. I think I got an idea, like, uh, wait, Notre Dame plays at Michigan? And I went to school in Dayton, so it's a pretty easy drive up I-75 pretty much most of the way to Ann Arbor. And I'm like, I'm just going to go myself. Forget it. I'm going to buy one ticket. I'm going to go myself. And I went myself, and I sat in Michigan Stadium, and – you know, I'm used to seeing Notre Dame fans welcome fans from other teams. And I sat in the middle of Michigan Stadium. There was like one or two other Notre Dame fans in my section. And it wasn't the most pleasant experience from a, like, I didn't really even want to cheer when Notre Dame did something well. <laughs> so um, I, I don't know. So I have kind of a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, a resentment from that experience with Michigan and you know, prior to, you know, I, you know, being a Notre Dame fan living in Ohio, I actually have bought a Michigan shirt before to wear during Ohio State Michigan week. Um, oh. But I, uh, that was long ago. And I, I, I honestly think I might like Ohio State better now. So anyway, um, to talk about the actual game. So depending on what website that you look at, most of them and the line has changed a little bit. I think Notre Dame was favored a couple of weeks ago. It's moved to a point where Michigan by most places is favored by two and a half points this week. Michigan, it just came out like this week is like a two to one odds to make the college football playoff. They're the fifth most likely team to make the playoff um, behind teams like Bama, Clemson, Georgia, and Washington. Notre Dame's 12th. Um, all of these things are things that surprise me. Because I just I, I'm just gonna say it flat out. I don't think Michigan's gonna be that good. Um, what are your thoughts? I agree. Um, I, I think their defense is going to be elite. They were elite last year. Um, they didn't really lose a whole lot. They've got playmakers back at all three levels, just like Notre Dame does. But uh, um, Michigan's just a little bit more talented on that side of the ball. What's gonna hurt them is on their offense. They don't really have anybody who scares me, and I know they have Shea Patterson, and he's supposed to be, you know, the savior. But I mean, we've seen Shea Patterson. I've, I've watched this guy operate. He's good. I don't know that he's what takes them to the next level. So, uh, and then just looking in the Big Ten, that that their odds to get to the college football playoff are, are kind of surprising, considering in their own division, I still say they might still be the fourth best team in their own division. And then in the conference, you've got another team on the other side of their conference in Wisconsin that I think is just flat out better than they are. So, um, yeah, that, I don't know. I mean, are they are they as you know they're good against Notre Dame? It'll probably be a very very good game. Um, they could even beat Notre Dame. But I, uh, to be a serious college football playoff contender, and for people saying that, I don't see it. I just don't. Yeah, people talk about Shea Patterson. Here's the here's the big thing that I think of is that you know Shea Patterson before he was it was announced that he was going to be able to play that this year, it was you know, I think Notre Dame probably had a slight edge when it came out that he was going to play. It's like that's the big X factor, and I get that that's a good addition. Like Notre Dame, um, Michigan is certainly not worse that since Shea Patterson can play, like that didn't make them lesser, um, and it helps them at least a little bit. I get that, but. You know, there's a reason why Shea Patterson left Mississippi, and it's because part of that, supposedly, is because he wasn't going to be – he might not have been the starter next season. And if you can't 
start at Mississippi, you're not that great of a quarterback. I mean, I'm not trying to say that Mississippi is like a place where quarterbacks go to die. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. But, I mean, come on. Like, a guy that might not have even been the starter at his old school is now going to be the savior at Michigan. I just don't buy that. Um, I think that an interesting, and I actually wrote about it as early as about a month ago that this game's going to I mean it seems like you say that about every big game that it comes down to the trenches and it's usually true and this is going to be what it comes down to but I think that you know people are talking an awful lot about how Notre Dame lost two top 10 selections in the NFL draft and it's going to be difficult for Michigan to or it's going to be difficult for Notre Dame to move the ball against Michigan especially in the run game well Michigan lost, I believe, their two starting defensive tackles, if I'm not mistaken. And that's about all they lost on defense. But to say that Notre Dame is so much weaker because they lost those two guys, when they're plugging in guys that played, and Tommy Kramer and Robert Hainsey's a full-time starter now, and Liam Eikenberg was a five-star recruit coming out of high school, I just don't buy that Michigan is going to dominate the line of scrimmage. I think it'll be pretty apparent quickly, you know, which team is going to be the better team after about one or two series. But um, I don't know. I'm not buying this. I'm not buying the Michigan hype yet. Um, I do think, and I'll sort of wrap up this thought as I as I deliver this last little piece, that it's interesting, this game, because as I was listening to another Notre Dame podcast earlier, this point was brought up. Um, it was the Blue and Gold Illustrated podcast that, you know, Michigan and Notre Dame have similar seasons ahead of them. They obviously play each other week one, and then they've got, you know, three or four really good opponents on their schedule throughout the rest of the season. And this is a game that if, you know, say Michigan beats Notre Dame, well, if they can go and they win two out of three, out of, you know, I don't know what order they play them in, but like Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Penn State, then, you know, last week of the season, you're playing to get into the college football playoff uh, when you play your rivalry game last week of the season. Same thing can be said for Notre Dame. If you beat Michigan, well, then you have teams like Stanford, Florida State, Virginia Tech, um, and other formidable formidable opponents in there as well but you win two out of three of those games and when you go to usc the last week of the season as a one-loss team potentially you're playing to get into the college football playoff um so it's interesting that this game has all that magnitude i i would probably agree that the team that wins this game is going to be at some point ranked in the college football playoff picture one through four somewhere um but I don't know that I necessarily say that if, you know, the team that wins this game is going to the college football playoff. I think that's that's probably a stretch, um, as some people are putting it. Right. I agree. I, I think and I think part of that is uh and you mentioned um getting to Ohio State at the end and playing for the college football playoff. Remember, even if they win that, there's a really good chance they gotta play Wisconsin again. And and yep. and, and, and you probably gotta beat Wisconsin twice in order to go to the college football playoff. I just don't know. I don't know if this Michigan team can beat Wisconsin twice. Yeah, that's a very good point that I was not considering. So um, interesting implications, I think, also for Brian Kelly and Jim Harbaugh. I mean, Michigan, by all accounts, you know, has 
not lived up to expectations in the three years of Harbaugh. Um, it hasn't been a colossal failure by any means, but certainly I think they wanted better than 0-3 in the first three years against Ohio State um, and 1-2 and against Michigan State. Is this a case that you know whoever loses this game between the two coaches is feeling their butt get a little warm or one more than the other? I don't think so. I, I just think I think Harbaugh is so safe at Michigan. Um, it, it would, he would have to it would have to be a complete train wreck for him to get on the hot seat. And with Kelly, there's there's just so uh, there's so many other chances the rest of the year. I mean, they could they could lose this and, and go eleven and one or ten and two, and he's going to be fine. Um, and, and again. It, I brought up uh, Polini earlier in the podcast. To me, Notre Dame needs to learn a lesson from what Nebraska went through over the past couple of years and getting rid of a guy who wins nine and ten games every year. I know you know you had the four four and eight season, but uh, when you got a coach who consistently wins, you, you're going to put up with a lot because he's a known, and you always want the known versus the unknown. Unless you're sure that this unknown is. You know, you just gotta know. You just gotta. I know I'm just rambling, but you really gotta have a feel that this guy's gonna be it. I mean, otherwise you're you're tossing money at a PJ Fleck or something like that, hoping he's gonna turn it around. But you just don't know. Like, there's only so many. I I personally think, and you know, I live in Nebraska. You know, just for the listeners, uh, so I'm surrounded by this Husker craziness. uh, But I look at a guy like Scott Frost, and he has it. But there aren't many guys that I feel like have what he has in terms of like first time big time head coaches. So I think Nebraska just lucked out that he was, you know, an alum and a former resident. I don't know that Notre Dame can go out and get a Scott Frost if they lose a, a Brian Kelly. So that's that's why I, it would have to be really things have to be really bad for the loser of this game to be on a, a real serious hot seat. Okay, well, we're going to circle back around to a similar conversation as we get to uh, listener voicemails here in a couple minutes. So we're going to close the book briefly for a second, put a bookmark in. We're going to talk about something else. Today, I was, you know, as I was preparing for this podcast, thinking of things to talk about, um, I stumbled across this article from athlonsports.com that talked about coaches anonymously talking about Notre Dame football. And there were a couple of these, and you told me that you had read this as well. Um, There were a couple of them that uh, really stuck out to me. One in particular is that one coach, anonymous coach, said, Brian is one of the best teachers of quarterbacks in college football. He's not going to overthink it. They've shown that they can win a lot of games with Wimbush. I'm not sure you can win a lot of games with the other guy, at least not yet. And I say this because I know you have some strong kind of opinions on this, uh, on the Notre Dame, Brandon Wimbush, Ian Book, even PJ Yurkovic type uh, debate, um, how do you feel about that statement? I think it's I think it's accurate. I think that uh, I think Kelly knows what he's doing. I think that you know last year was Wimbush's first year as a starter. Um, he he was effective, and a lot of people focused on on the plays he didn't make. And I don't feel like there's enough attention uh, paid to the plays he did make. He's electric with the ball in his hands. I mean, yeah, 49% completion rate. That's all you hear about him as far as passing goes. But the guy does stuff as a runner that does – it does tax defensive coordinators. It does keep them up at night. Um, Dual-threat quarterbacks have historically been uh, the way to go in college football. I mean, you think about some of the greatest pocket passers that we've seen go through the game and then go on to the NFL. What did they do in college? What did their teams do in college? There's not there's not a whole lot of guys that can go. Oh yeah, I was I was a traditional pocket passer, and uh, I won a whole bunch of national titles. Look at a guy. Look at Peyton Manning. Look at Tom Brady. Uh, look at Drew Brees. Uh, 
the guys who win national titles in college are Tim Tebow, Tommy Frazier, um, Tony Rice. I mean, these, it's, it's been like that throughout the history of college football. Uh, and it's because the athletes are different. The speed's different. Um, linebackers at the college level are going to have a hard time taking on a quarterback who has receiver speed. In the NFL, not the case. You've got guys like Luke Keekley and, and some other linebackers who have tight end, slow receiver speed. They're going to catch these guys, not in college. And, and that, I think that's the biggest difference. Unless you've got an absolute elite passer who also has some mobility, which I don't know. You know, I, I don't know that uh, the book is that, but I do know what Wimbush is, and he's a dynamic athlete that can win more games than he's going to lose you. To your point about. NFL linebackers versus, you know, traditionally good college college traditional quarterbacks. Um, I'm a Browns fan, and I'll never forget a play where I was watching uh, Luke Keekley chase down Johnny Manziel in Carolina and was probably arguably faster than Johnny Manziel yep. was on the play and, and just demolished him. Um, Manziel was way in college. Yeah, so uh, kind of interesting. You even saying Luke Keekley just made me think of that, and I just had to reminisce for a second. <laughs> Um, the other thing that was on there, and there were five of uh, these quotes on there. I'm not going to read all of them, but the other one that um, I think was maybe the most impactful, ar- arguably, was this coach that said, I don't buy all of the Brian Kelly hot seat stuff. You're really not going to run off a guy who's done what you Oh, he, you're really going to run off a guy who has done what he has. It's not 1979 anymore. I'm butchering this quote. I apologize. You're not the only team on television. Your facilities aren't exactly state-of-the-art. They should be elated to have a coach of that caliber. I don't know that there's a ton of commentary that needs to be said about that because I think it speaks volumes. Um, but that was that was kind of eye-opening that it's not 1979. Dang it. It's not 1979 anymore. You're not the only team on television. That just kind of blew my mind. That you know, I, And I think as Notre Dame, well, I'm a Notre Dame fan. You're, you cover Notre Dame. Um, I think you can call me a fan. Okay, all right. I'm, all right. I'm a free agent, you know, and uh, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. All right, fair. So we're both Notre Dame fans. I think as Notre Dame fans, like, uh, you know, I'll say this. Between you and I, I'm more I'm, I'm more wearing the green shaded glasses, I guess, than you are more than likely. Yes. Um, when you hear someone say strong words like that, and we don't know who this is. I mean, it could be Saban. It could be Meyer. It could be pj fleck it could be somebody we don't even know who what their name is who knows um but (laughs) when you hear someone say that it kind of like hits me in the heart a little bit it's like oh man because we hold notre dame on like this pedestal of tradition and doing things the right way and for the most part and um that type of thing and just kind of you know the gold standard and it, it is a little bit sobering i think to hear people say that and uh I don't know, and I think there's a lot of truth to it as well, that Notre Dame isn't, you know, because years ago, 30, 40 years ago, Notre Dame was head and shoulders of above most of the fo- college football programs in America, let's be honest, but it's not that way anymore. And when people are talking about firing Brian Kelly, you know, because of a losing season and, you know, he has he's only played in one national title <laughs> game and all of that stuff, I, I, I do think it's to an extent ludicrous. So we're going to transition to a new segment of the show. 
we have recently opened up a voicemail line through this nifty little Google Voice thing that I think is just so cool. Uh, you can call and leave us voicemails. If you want to hear your voice heard on the podcast, whether that's to ask us a question, tell us we're smart or stupid, preferably smart, I don't know, um, tell us, you know, shout somebody out, whatever, call us. The number is 812-624-5276. You'll be directed straight to a voicemail. You can leave us a voicemail, and we will play it on the podcast as long as it's deemed appropriate to play on the podcast. Um, right now, you know, it's in the early stage of this, of this, we have five voicemails to get to today. If it ever gets to a point where there's a lot more than that, we'll obviously have to screen some of them, use some of them at different times. So there's my little disclaimer there. Um, so we're going to go through and, um, talk to indirectly, I suppose, some of our fans who submitted some questions. The first one is Kyle from Massachusetts. Hey guys, uh, Kyle from uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts, longtime Notre Dame fan. Uh, I've made the trip a couple of times up to South Bend. It's a beautiful place, beautiful experience. A um, couple of couple of questions. So, um, well, first and foremost, I think this is an unbelievable format, and it makes me so much more likely to want to uh, take part in listening to the show. Um, I'm, being in Massachusetts, I'm always looking for a, a good Notre Dame podcast, and there aren't many of them. Um, so always looking for, for kind of more talent, more on-air personalities to talk about uh, all things Notre Dame, recruiting, and football, and I'm glad we found it. So my question is about Autry Denson. Um, I think we've seen Notre Dame do a really, really good job recruiting offensive linemen. Um, last year's recruiting recruiting class, not stellar, but they've certainly reloaded. Um, and just continually they churn out, but more importantly – uh, they develop offensive linemen. You've seen three and four star guys, um, you know, come through Harry Heastand and or the program and develop, turn into first round draft picks. I mean, and you know, anyone who has a football brain knows that that Notre Dame does a really good job there. But you know, recruiting offensive linemen and running backs to me it goes hand in hand. Um, we're now, I think, what year two on Chip Long. Um, we've had two offensive linemen go in the first round in the last draft. So like recruits are seeing the kind of production and talent we kick out on the O line. And I don't know what, I don't know what the miss is with Autry Denson. I'm, it's confusing for me. I know he's a Notre Dame grad. I know he's Notre Dame's all time leading rusher. Um, appreciate all he's done for the program, but I, I don't want this to turn into Brian Kelly having loyalty to a, a coach. Um, we've seen this before the Brian Van Gorder effect when it's just not being effective. And, you know, I'm not seeing running backs develop at a, at a fast pace and I'm not seeing them be able to recruit or excuse me, recruit top talent at the position. And it's frustrating to me. Notre Dame should be in on, you know, take the top seven or eight kids. They should have a legitimate shot at least one or two of them every single year. And the moral of the story is what it's, if Audrey Denson can't bring in the talent, um, especially with the connection that Florida he has. What's the next move? All right, Kyle, thank you for the question. Um, that was that was a doozy. And there's a lot of things to tackle there. First of all, thank you for the kind words in regards to the podcast. We're excited about this voicemail thing, as you can tell, as I was saying you know, a couple minutes ago. But um, as moving on to Autry Denson, like you said, I think, and I have to defer a little bit here to our recruiting guru, if you want to call him that, Nathan Erbach over at Slap the Sign. He follows recruiting 
religiously, and you'll hear his voice on this podcast from time to time talking recruiting things and other football stuff as well. I asked him basically this question. And uh, so I, you know, I'm going to speak authoritatively on this, but just know that, you know, I'm citing Nathan as a, as a source. So I think it is fair to say that Denson hasn't necessarily recruited the top guys to Notre Dame at the running back position. That's fair. When it comes to, I guess, developing guys, you know, I, I think the jury to a certain extent is still out. I think that there are guys that, you know, have had some talent that have developed well. I mean, I think you can say Josh Adams developed. I think you can say to a certain extent that Dexter Williams has developed and we'll learn a lot about him this season as, you know, Josh Adams has moved on, obviously, and he's going to be getting the bulk of the carries if he's not suspended, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> um, but as far as some of the other guys, you know, I, and I don't know where the fault lies here, but other guys, I mean, Dexter Williams has had his off the field incidents, um, one or two of them, obviously. CJ Holmes isn't with the team. Deion McIntosh isn't with the team. These are guys that were talented guys, maybe not the top tier of running backs that you would want Notre Dame to get, but guys that were probably going to be pretty good backs at Notre Dame had they stayed. Um, so I think to a certain extent, bad luck has hurt them. Like I say, you're going to learn a lot about Autry Denson as a talent developer this year because, you know, you'll see it with Jafar Armstrong. If Jafar Armstrong comes in and he looks like a running back, well, I think that says a lot about Autry Denson as a coach taking a guy who's a receiver and making him into, like I say, a a, a running back. So, and CJ Procise, kind of the same thing happened with him. So I think it's safe to say that Autry Denson is a decent coach. I mean, I wouldn't say that he's, you know, the running back whisperer. I think he can definitely improve in that regard, as far as who's who could be next for running back coach at Notre Dame, could be anybody's guess. I, I really don't know. JP, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is it really worth it to fire a running backs coach? That, that's my first reaction to this. Um, I I've never really thought about Notre Dame's backs as being like subpar or anything like that. I mean, like, as you know, we mentioned we're coming off a season where uh, Josh did what he did. Um, but even looking at that, he had limitations as an athlete. He, he was a certain kind of a back. Now you look at this crop of guys you got in there, you got a bunch of guys that can do a lot of different things. Um, as you mentioned, I think there are guys that you can cite that Denson has developed, and, and they've had pretty good success at this level and the pro level. Um, and you just, uh, I just don't know that it's a point of focus for Kelly to worry about going after four- and five-star backs. I mean, I, I guess that's the gist of the question here is, I mean, because you're not landing these big-time running backs, I don't know – I mean, I don't know that they're putting a lot of energy into landing those guys. I mean, they, you talk about it in the NFL, running backs largely plug and play. There are very few elite running backs who are difference makers, and I think that's true at the college level. Um, and Kelly talks about all the time, uh, that butt weapon he took at the hands of Alabama opened his eyes, and you can see how he has changed his roster and changed his strategy on the basis of that. It's not so much about the skill position players anymore. He's focused on the trenches now. Notre Dame is kind of built like an SEC team now. You've got solid offensive line, solid defensive line, uh, fast linebackers. That's the direction we're going. And, and, and so to focus on, oh, do we need to get rid of this running backs coach? I don't know. I mean, does getting rid of Audrey Denson, is that what pushes Notre Dame over the top? Is, that, is he what's keeping Notre Dame from getting back to the top? I don't think so. I, I think you're, uh, you're going to cause more uh, headache by getting rid of him um, than, than – you know, he's causing here. I, I, I don't know. I just think 
I think he's largely a non-factor at the end of the day. I think he's a good running backs coach, and, and we can just leave it at that. Yeah, that and that's the other part, like you're mentioning, like is running back really that important to Brian Kelly? Is that a priority? And I really don't think it is. I mean, Brian Kelly is a quarterback guy. Um, he gets guys like Brandon Wimbush because, you know, he wants to take some pressure off the running backs because the quarterback can run as well. Um, so I think that, you know, like you said very eloquently, that probably not the highest priority is to have these elite running backs. It Would it be great to have, as Nathan mentioned in the chat today, to have Saquon Barkley running behind Notre Dame's offensive line? Absolutely. Um, but was Josh Adams, as a college player, much different than Saquon Barkley? I don't really think he was. So um, I don't know. We'll move on to the next one. Next question comes from Sean from Iowa. Hey, guys. Sean from Iowa calling. So this season, I think, is Coach Kelly's Second most important season in his tenure. I think his most important season was last year because he had to climb out of the depths of a four and eight season. And consistency is something that's eluded the Notre Dame program for years. Um, but he has a chance to go for back to back 10 win seasons, which that hasn't happened in, I don't know how many years. Certainly predates Coach Kelly and Coach Weiss, I believe. But my question is, how many wins do you need to see this year to give you faith that Coach Kelly is the right guy going forward? And I think this is probably a question that we've had to answer just about every off season because of the alluded to inconsistency. All right. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. All right, Sean. Thank you for the question. Um, I think it's interesting that you call this uh, Brian Kelly's second most important season, first of all. Um, that that was interesting to me. I don't know that I think obviously last year was his most important, as you said. And I, I don't know that I weigh give this a whole lot more weight than what, you know, any other season is at Notre Dame, to be honest with you. Um the question obviously that you alluded to is how many wins is enough to convince me? Um it's hard to say. You know, we talked earlier in the podcast about how it's not nineteen seventy nine anymore. And a guy that wins is a guy and a guy that's known is probably more valuable to your program than plugging in an unknown at a time where you're having relative success as a football program. Um, I, I, I think that as long as this season isn't any type of a train wreck. So, and we'll label that as, you know, if he goes eight and four, there's going to be discussion about whether he should be fired nine and three. I think he's pretty well safe. 10 wins done deal he's staying unless he decides to leave on his own terms so i i guess to answer the question nine or ten wins is is good enough to keep him there and convince me that he's the guy and you know after you've compiled a couple nine ten win seasons you know i I think there will be a time where you know the recruiting and everything hits at the right time and you jump to being a contender and then you go back to where it's a nine ten win season for a year or two and then you're a contender and i think that's where notre dame is at a program as a program at this point i think brian kelly is good enough to keep them there yeah, I don't know. This hot seat talk bugs me sometimes. Um, so when you look at it, uh, just a rec- if you're just looking at wins and losses, which I know Notre Dame fans are used to doing because historically Notre Dame wins a lot. Um, but if you look at this schedule, uh, is I think there are there's five games on this schedule that Notre Dame could lose. Now, barring un- unless they're blowouts, Notre Dame could lose five games on this schedule, and I don't think I'd be like, oh man, that sucks because let's start start week one of Michigan. If, if they lose to Michigan, are you freaking out? Like, are you just freaking out? Probably not. 
If they lose at Virginia Tech, are you freaking out? No, I'm not. Uh, we'll, we'll see. What are the other ones? Stanford. If you lose to Stanford, nope, not freaking out. And what was the other last game of the year? USC. I mean, USC's young. They lost a lot, but it's the last game of the year. They're going to be a different team that week than they are in week one. You lose that game. That's a possibility. These are all possible losses. I can't think of what the fifth game would be right now. I had five of them, though. But so even there, you're looking at eight and four. And as long as those aren't blowouts, say they're all competitive, hard-fought games against four teams that have a very good chance of being serious contenders in their conferences, I, I can't see how you can look at that and go, oh, well, we got to get rid of Kelly. Now, if he gets blown out in three of those four losses, then we're talking about something else. Or if he loses all four of those games and then maybe gets upset by Syracuse and Yankee Stadium or gets upset by Navy in San Diego, then we're having a different conversation. But, man, he, it's the, tri- the wheels got to fall completely off the car, I think, to get Brian Kelly back on the serious hot seat talk. At least that's my opinion. I, I don't know. I know, I know he, him, and, him and Wimbush are very divisive characters amongst the Notre Dame faithful, but I just don't see it. And it goes back to, man, you got to know what you have. You got to know what's, what else is out there. And uh, I, li- I like what Notre Dame has in Kelly. All right, and then our next three questions actually all come from Slap the Sign people. I allowed them to uh, ring in on this first one. We allowed that? Yeah, I know. We got to put our foot down. Um, (laughs) But, you know, we wanted to test out the system, get a few more questions in there, and hopefully this will encourage others to, uh, you know, this will set the example for others as well. So uh, the next one is a similar one to Sean's. It comes from our writer Connor from Central Florida near the Orlando area. And here it is. Hey, this is uh, Connor McJunkin. I'm calling from Central Florida in Orlando. Um, I think one of the biggest talking points with Notre Dame is either the quarterbacks or talking about Brian Kelly. So I would like to hear your opinions on if Brian Kelly doesn't win 10 games this year and a major bowl win, is he gone? Do you think that – his time is up if he doesn't have a back-to-back 10-win season and win a win a major bowl game. Um, I appreciate it. That's my question. Thank you. Bye. All right. So, you know, we've kind of talked about this. Uh, thanks, Connor, for the question, by the way. Um, if he doesn't get to the 10-win threshold and win a major bowl game, is he gone? No. <laughs> Probably no. not. Come I, on, Connor. I, I, I suppose – there's a scenario where, you know, like you were saying, and this would just be wild, where you win all the big games and then you uh, lose to Navy, Syracuse, and Northwestern or something like that, and you think, like, oh, my goodness, like, now he wins the big games and loses the cupcakes. Um, I, I don't know. And though I don't feel this way as, you know, a teacher and someone who talks about sports, I, I – play devil's advocate a lot and you know I know that there's the argument that he's had time at Notre Dame to do more than what he's done let's put it that way to establish something bigger than what he's gotten to outside of like the one national championship season which technically doesn't count but it counts um but I I just don't outside of guys like Nick Saban and Urban Meyer and um, Davo and I mean another guy or two. I mean, does it really? If you fire Brian Kelly and bring in a guy like PJ Fleck, does that make your program any better? I don't think it does, and I think you're in agreement with me. Um, 
I just don't. I would rather stay with the continuity if it's at this, I hate to say good enough status. But like I say, right now, like as a program in 2018, winning nine, 10 games a year should be your barometer. If you're getting that more often than you're not, you're good to go. And if you're falling short, six, seven wins year after year, then you make a change. And and that's where I am. I, I just look at being in the college football playoff conversation. Uh, yeah. if, if you're in the college football playoff conversation in the month of November, I think that's right now that's the best you can ask for. And Notre Dame has been in that conversation two out of the last three years. I mean, it's it's that simple. So, yeah, has it gone the way we wanted to? No. But they're, they're there, they're hovering around it, and there's a lot of teams that would love to be where Notre Dame is right now. Our next question comes from another one of our writers, Jack from Chicago, and here it is. Oh, geez. Hey, Ben. Jack from Chicago. Two questions for you. What are realistic expectations for the Irish offense in their week one matchup against Michigan? And which freshman do you foresee having the biggest impact in 2018? Thanks. Realistic expectations for the Notre Dame offense against Michigan. Great question, Jack. Um, I've said privately, obviously not into this microphone because we haven't recorded for a long time, that I think this game's going to resemble Georgia a lot um, in mm-hmm. the fact that it's, you know, early season game under the lights, um, primetime matchup, all that stuff stellar defense on Georgia on the opposing team's side Georgia and Michigan and some questions on offense but I just think that Notre Dame is going to be a little bit more ready for it this year and there's my Taylor Swift reference of the podcast I always make one of those um not always but if I can I do it um so are you ready for it but um (laughs) you probably don't even know what I'm talking about and if you don't you're probably better off um I do so I think Notre Dame is more prepared for this matchup early in the season than they were a year ago. So I think it's going to go hopefully in their favor a little more. I don't think it'll be like the first team to 20, like it kind of was last year. Um, I, I think it'll be a game in the mid to high twenties. Um, so not real, real high scoring, but just a, a good solid college football game. And I really think Notre Dame comes out on top if everything holds true between now and September 1st with people hopefully not getting suspended. I'm knocking on wood and all of the and injuries and all of that stuff. So what say you? Um, yeah, I think points are going to be hard to come by in this one. As we discussed, Michigan does have a very good defense. But Notre Dame's defense is not uh, that bad either. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at Michigan's too deep on their offense, and I'm, I'm trying to – line them up in my head against Notre Dame's defense. I think Notre Dame defensively against Michigan's offense is in a better position. I, I think there's a greater distance there between those two and the talent of those two units than there is between Notre Dame's offense and Michigan's defense, if you're following what I'm saying. Yep. I think as good as Michigan's defense is, Notre Dame's offense isn't garbage. And I think Notre Dame's offense is good enough to score. I think they could score 17 points against Michigan's uh, defense, and, and and then you flip to the other side of the ball, I, I'm looking at, again, looking at their two deep, uh, and their offensive, on Michigan's offensive line, on their two deep, they've got six freshmen or sophomores mm. on the two deep on the offensive line. That's a that's a problem. Yeah. Because uh, if it was later in the season, I wouldn't say it was a problem. But this is the first game of the season, and that is going to be a problem. And I think that uh, Notre Dame can get – a turnover or even a touchdown off of a turnover. And if that happens, and if Notre Dame gets to 24 points in this one, that way I think Notre Dame wins this game. Yeah, and an interesting point that you're sort of alluding to is sometimes when it's a 
good defensive game, there's actually more points scored because the defense causes a turnover down in the red zone and you got to go 15 yards to score a touchdown. So, you know, a defensive battle doesn't necessarily mean low points either. So I think that's, that's interesting to consider as well. So like I say, I see it in like the 28 to 24 type range. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'll probably be wrong, but Hey, whatever. Um, real quickly, freshmen that will have the biggest impact to answer the other half of Jeff's Jack's question. What do you think? This oh, sort of stumps but, me a little bit. Yeah. You wanted me to go first, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking. I'm, I'm pulling out my list of. If I had to put money on it, given that Notre Dame's safeties were so bad last year, the guy with the biggest opportunity is going to be Houston Griffith. Um, so I think he'll have the biggest impact, and I'll just kind of leave it there. I, I don't. He's just going to have the most opportunity to do things, so I'll say he has the biggest impact. Um, you're talking about any of the fre- – that would be true freshman? He didn't stipulate. <laughs> Isn't Jafar? Isn't Jafar a freshman? Uh, Jafar. Technically, I guess he would qualify as a redshirt. Notre Dame doesn't technically do that, so he's really a sophomore, and they're going to call him a sophomore, but he's, oh, for all intents and purposes, going to be a freshman. Well, then I uh, I, I go with you. I, I think – um. You said Houston Griffith, right? Yes. Yeah, I think Houston because um, no, I, I think Alohi Gilman's going to be very good, but I think they're going to be able to use Griffith in a bunch of different ways. Yep. Um, I, I think he'll get playing time even with Alohi on the field, so uh, he'll he'll probably get the most you know opportunity, uh, barring injury to any of the other guys. I mean, there's a possibility if like one of the big time linemen goes down, you could see one of these freshmen get tossed into there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's probably Griffith. Yeah, Jason Adamaloa on defensive lineman is a candidate, I think. Um, that's really about all I would say, to be honest with yeah. you. Um, I, I think this this crop of freshmen, I mean, there's, there's some there's some talent there, but, I mean, the class that, that they're throwing together right now, that's when you're going to see some guys who are going to be able to come in immediately and make some impact. I've heard that Shane Simon, Rover guy, uh, has been really impressive. So another candidate. So, but like I say, I'm sticking with Houston Griffith. Um, to your point, he can, he has the ability probably also to play corner. So I, over the course of time at Notre Dame, you could kind of see him play sort of like how the honey badger played Tyron Matthew at LSU moving between right. safety and kind of like a nickel corner type of thing and blitzing and doing that type of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I could see that as well. So, uh, last question it comes from Mason from Osceola, Indiana, near South Bend. I love the name Osceola. I had to say it again because I kind of stumbled over it there. But anyway, here it is. Hey, guys. Dome. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is Mason Plummer. I'm from Osceola, Indiana, not too far from South Bend. I'm a big Notre Dame fan, and uh, I'm a little bit worried about this season. I'm not the biggest supporter or uh, believer in Brandon Wimbush and his quarterback play. I've seen sparks of greatness for him the past couple of years but I haven't seen him consistently be great, and I just want to hear your expectations for this season and your predictions for him and him leading the Irish attack. Thanks, guys. So, Brandon Wimbush. Um, I don't know. Uh, you, you touched on the fact that you think that he'll improve. Do you have maybe some numerical how you think he'll improve or what numerically would be a imp- good improvement for him? Uh, well, Jack just recently wrote an article about his ceiling. Um, Jack... Uh, Lenny Art. Uh, you, <laughs> I'm sorry? Lenny Art. Yes. You can call him Jack Leinart. It makes him it, mad. 
Yeah, I've never had to say his name out loud. Anyway, he had a very good article uh, that went out on the first today, the day we're recording this, um, about the ceiling. And I agreed with pretty much everything he said. I think just between experience, getting comfortable in the system, um, the fact that he, he doesn't really have a known running game behind him to depend on. I mean, he, he's still going to have a solid line. Um, but I, th- I think he has more options as pass catchers coming out of the backfield. And then as far as his receivers go, I like that he's going to have bigger receivers. And in the red zone, that's going to make a difference. I've actually written about that where you've got two very big receivers, uh, a very athletic tight end. In the red zone, I, I think his touchdown pass numbers go up. I think that they're going to work on um, not having him throw the ball far down the field so often I, I think that more than anything is what led to his 49 percent completion percentage was the attempted passes and the distance on some of those attempts if he's throwing intermediate you know even short dump off routes because he's got the athletes to do that his numbers across the board are going to go up um he's still going to be a dangerous runner uh and and but the more he throws the less he's going to need to run so i would almost say his his Running numbers are going to go down slightly, but his passing numbers, I expect them to improve across the board. In fact, I'll be shocked if they don't improve across the board. I tend to agree. I'm going to contradict you just a little bit. Um, when you look at Brandon Wimbush, and this is just because I did some real in-depth research into Brandon Wimbush a couple of weeks back for an article. Um, his numbers down the field, I mean, I think he, and I don't have them right in front of me, but I think like to the deep right, so like 20 yards plus to the right, he completed like 34% of his passes, which actually isn't awful um and i didn't really know like the benchmark for that but sam darnold completed like 37 or something um now he wasn't great in every deep area but i think you know where the difference was was that um and i'm not a quarterback guru by any means but even listening to notre dame announcers on the on the broadcast and um mike mayock and things like talk about his throwing motion it's pretty obvious to see that like at the end of last season, there were times where he wasn't – he's stepping at like a 45-degree angle away from where he's trying to throw the ball. And I think a lot of that had to do with just discomfort um, in the pocket a little bit, not necessarily knowing where he was going, afraid of getting hit because he was being tentative, that type of thing. I'm not saying he's afraid to take contact. I'm just saying uncertainty adds up, I suppose. And I, I think that more certainty – and just working on those mechanics, stepping into the throw is going to have him complete a higher percentage of some of those short and underneath routes, which is really where like guys like Darnold from, you know, 10 yards and between 10 and 20 yards completed a lot more passes and at a lot higher percentage than Brandon did last year. And even just, you know, to the short right, like five yards or fewer, Brandon's percentage was just not great um and i so i just think that more certainty is going to help in that regard um i do think he'll probably throw more interceptions this year just because he's gonna you know yeah he's gonna throw the ball more yeah he's gonna throw the ball more with confidence comes a little bit more i mean there's good and bad with confidence i think it's mostly going to be good for brandon but he's gonna throw more interceptions and it's that's okay he only threw like six last year or four i don't remember so um but i do think his ratio from pass touchdowns to interceptions is going to improve as well. So I, I think we've got, we've got something in Brandon Wimbush and if he I, sticks I around two more years. So if I can bring up one point too, and yeah. I just recently, uh, I interviewed his mom the other night and uh, I learned a lot about him that I didn't know. And, and there's probably um, some more hardcore Notre Dame fans that did know this about him. But um, as far as his motion goes, football for most of his life was not his number one sport. 
Um, he he is an elite baseball player. I think I did. And he actually he actually got into football as a way to uh, kind of take a break from the from the toll of year round baseball. Um, cause he just like fall ball would come around and he was just like, I can't do this. I can't, I gotta do something to get away from it. And, uh, he's just such a pure athlete. Um, football came natural to him. And at the high school level, it kind of like how we talked about the transition from college to pro, um, and the difference in athlete, you can get away with things in high school that you're not going to be able to get away with at division one football. And some of that, you know, his maybe, uh, faulty mechanics in high school where he, he might've been slinging that thing like a baseball with mostly just his yeah. arm yep. and it was getting the job done. Well, that's not going to get the job done at this level, and I think I think there's a lot of that. So I do think if, if Kelly can just kind of, you know, change his mechanics, and it seems like he did. You know, watching him in the blue gold game, it looked like he was different. He looked like a different passer for a lot of that game. Uh, me personally, I don't know what anyone else saw, but um, if he can just continually progress and continue to learn how to be a a passer in the game of football, as opposed to just a athlete who is throwing a ball i think that's going to help a lot and i know that's a very basic explanation of it but um, that's just something i just keyed in on that reminded me of and uh yeah hopefully i have that interview on friday or so because uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there looking forward to that for sure um i've told this story probably two three times on this podcast so regular listeners probably uh, will roll their eyes but i was there at the umass game when brandon saw his first action ever um and the play that always has stuck out with me is that it was actually it was called a completed pass at first. It was reviewed and it was incomplete, but he launched a ball sixty some odd yards, and uh, Will Fuller dove and couldn't bring it in. And after the game, Will Fuller said, "Brandon's about the only quarterback that's ever been able to overthrow me." <laughs> um, and in the stadium, it didn't really come out on TV this way because you don't really can't always see the ball in the air on TV. But in the stadium, it was just it was an absolute rope 60 yards in the air. Like it didn't get more than 10, 15 yards off the feet off the ground. And, uh, it, it just, it was astounding. I was like, Holy smokes, that guy can throw the ball. So anyway, that's my reminiscent of Brandon Wimbush story. <laughs> All right. So any closing thoughts before we get out of here, anything that you're burning? Not on? Really, I'm just, I'm excited for it to be the month of August. I mean, not just for Notre Dame. I mean, just college football in general, uh, we got preseason football this week. Um, my fantasy drafts are coming up, college and pro. So I, there I'm it just, is. I'm, the month of August is for me. It's like the best month because yeah. we're getting out of this baseball grind and getting into the real sport. Absolutely, so. absolutely. I am looking forward on Saturdays at my apartment. I have you know a TV here in my living room and then one in my bedroom, and I bring the TV from my bedroom out, and I got a couple TVs going. Oftentimes I have, you know, watch ESPN going on my laptop too. And I'm just looking forward to like that brisk Saturday afternoon feeling where football's on and it's just can't be rivaled to be honest. So, all right. Well, um, make sure you're following us. Like I said, at the top of the show, iTunes, Stitcher, Google play, SoundCloud, Spreaker, all that stuff, everything, Podbean, um, anywhere else I miss. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, um, the handles, like I say, we said at the top of the show, so I won't bore you with those again. Um, I think that's about it. I'm to echo what JP said. Very excited. Can't wait. There will be more podcasts in the future. Can't wait for that either. Make sure you're checking us out all over those places and at slapthesign.com as well for the written stuff. We're doing some really cool stuff over there. I love the team of writers that we have. So all that being said, we're going to get out of here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. And... Until next time, 
Go Irish. Go Irish. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.